Today's Ringer NBA show heat check is brought to you by the Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over 1 million actions on your phone, in your car, and around your house. One of my favorites is to get the latest sports info when I'm in the car and can't be messing around with my phone. Gotta focus on the road. So with the Google Assistant, I can get the latest scores, team records, schedules, all that stuff. Download the Google Assistant today. Today's Ringer NBA show heat check is also brought to you by the Dave Chang show on the Ringer podcast network. This is very exciting. Michelin star chef David Chang now has a podcast right here on the Ringer podcast network produced in partnership with Major Domo Media. Volume one of the pre-opening diaries went up Thursday in which Dave sits down with our boss Bill Simmons to talk about everything that led up to him deciding to move to Los Angeles. It was a riveting conversation with two really fascinating people and David Chang is everywhere. He's got a TV show. Now he's got his podcast here at The Ringer. You should go and subscribe to The Dave Chang Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's going to be a lot of fun. We like to eat here. We like to listen to fun people. Boom. Dave Chang Show. And now, he check. Welcome to the Heat Check Podcast. I'm your host, John Gonzalez, joined per usual by our producer, Isaac Lee. Isaac, we're in the same spot. Yeah, welcome back, man. Thanks. I was in uh, Philly for a little while watching the Sixers get out of the first round. Shouts to them. And then I was in D.C. watching the Wizards not. No shouts to them. That was pretty awful for the Wizards. Another pointless season in D.C. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. We've got tons of NBA Content for you on TheRinger.com. I wrote a piece about what the 76ers can learn, what kind of lessons they can learn from the Oklahoma City Thunder that were supposed to be really good for a long time and turns out are not. And then also Haley has a good piece on uh, how the Warriors didn't need Steph to blow out the Pelicans. And then, of course, Haley and Paolo are all over uh, the exit interviews. We've got Jordan Kahn on the homie Dario and uh, KOC on the lessons of the first round. KOC will join us a little later in the program. And of course, the Ringer NBA show has you covered throughout the playoffs, as does Bill Simmons, the boss man. He'll be talking uh, all kinds of NBA playoff stuff, so you want to listen to all of that. But first, we had a Game 7 with the Pacers and the Cavs, and a Game 1 with the Rockets and the Jazz. And I'm excited about both of those things, and I'm even more excited about our guest for that. Isaac, let's do it. All right, joining me in studio, I'm super excited about this. They've appeared individually on this podcast before, but never as a team. And I guess like as an homage to the crossovers of the Marvel Universe, we're doing a crossover here at the Heat Shack. It's a crossover with sources say both Juliette Littman and Chris Ryan together. Hello, gang. Hi. Which one of us is Thanos? I haven't seen it yet. You were just there. Yeah, I just saw it. More importantly, which one of us is Dr. Carter and which is Dr. Ross appearing on Friends? <laughs> That's my favorite crossover in the history of crossovers. These are great. I hope that we can live up to those expectations. Also, I want to congratulate the two of you. You were already very talented and popular here at The Ringer. And now you have new fun titles. Juliet is the head of production now and Chris is the editorial director. And you get access to a company helicopter, I think. Yes. And there's all kinds of fun stuff that goes That's with correct. that. So congratulations. I chopper to work now. Get to the chopper. That would help in L.A., actually. It it would be it great. The awesome. It's the Kobe method. It he, used to <laughs> he used to chop her to, to Staples. So we got lots of basketball to talk about with you two. Game seven, Pacers-Cavs. LeBron had never lost a first round series, was in danger of it happening. And then all of a sudden he decided, no, I don't want to do that. 
He uh, had 13 in the first quarter, finished with 45, 9, 7, and 4 steals, and basically willed a really bad Cavs team into the second round, which I guess good for him, but man, like the Cavs have not been good this year, and I keep waiting for them to be better, and they're not. Yeah, I mean, Ty went with the 2016 All-Stars, right? Minus Kyrie Irving. He yeah. tried to revive the bully ball. George Hill was really the only person who contributed to the team who was a new arrival, and they've had so many new arrivals this season. That's yeah. kind of hard. I don't, I don't bet against LeBron in Game 7s. It's it's like it's kind of like a blackjack thing where yeah. you're just like, if you play strategy blackjack, you can not lose too much money. And uh, sure, LeBron will get eliminated here and there, usually by the, in the finals. Though. How's and your blackjack game, Chris Ryan? I'm actually, I don't even, I'm reading a script here. I don't <laughs> actually know how to play blackjack. No, uh, you know what I mean, though? If you just bet the odds on LeBron, you'll, you'll make yeah. a little bit of money. You don't bet against him in these Game 7s, especially against an Indiana team who's already, like, this season was such an accomplishment for them. What are they, like, 17 games over there, over under? I feel like they should be happy to be there. They should be happy with what they accomplished. They could have beaten this team, but that could've. was three games ago. They, they could have beaten They could have won today. Yeah. They, they have the better team, as Chris mentioned, Juliet, the supporting cast that the Cavs traded for at the trade deadline. Of those four guys, they had 12 points combined. 11 of them were by George Hill, and yet the Cavs get out of the first round are you surprised that they pulled it off? Because the, Cavs? Yeah, because the Pacers did have the better team, but the Cavs have the better player by a lot. They're the better player, and I, I do think that the experience of just being in those situations helps a lot because mm. the, they're like three games the Pacers could have won and didn't. They could have won this game. They definitely could have won the game last Sunday, so that was game mm-hmm. four. They gave quite a few away. Depot, you know, he came, he had a good second half he, in game seven. He had a really bad first half and he just was uh, inconsistent throughout the series and it just sort of played like a very hyperactive, overactive style, just driving to the basket, like hoping for the best. And it did produce like quite a few offensive rebounds that they then scored, but he was not like, not the player that we came to expect throughout the season. Then they brought Tristan in to take care of that, right? Like that yeah. was sort of the chess move. I, I'm, I've been pretty critical of Ty this, this playoffs it's been obviously a rocky season for him health-wise, and I think tactically he has not been as sharp as probably a LeBron coach would need to be. Really, Spolstra is sort of the, the the model there, right? Changing the system around what LeBron is capable of at any given time. Ty's done that in the past with the bully ball when all else failed, just to have him be Carl Malone. This time around, you know, I just, I hadn't really felt like, I felt like he was almost calcifying into just like, I'm just going to go with the guys who got me here, kind of yeah. like football coach stuff and playing Calderon. That's a good football coach voice. Yeah, You've been working that, on that, that a little it bit. It almost has like a, like, I trust the guys who have been here, you know, <laughs> like that's just ridiculous. You know, you, you have these weapons, the, the Pacers aren't ready for you if you can play LeBron and shooters. Like, I, think I feel that, like that was the same voice you did for Tom Hardy, right? <laughs> You're doing all of a sudden like a New York I accent. I like three voices. Good um, They're good voices. But yeah, today the Tristan sub in for Calderon starting Tristan wound up being probably one of the big factors in the game aside from LeBron just because he, they were able to take care of yeah. the glass this time. The Pacers are up 61-58 with 6.38 left to go in the third. And I was like, oh shit, this could really happen. And yeah. then it did not happen because they just they don't have another score to rely on other than Depot and he wasn't having his best series at, by any means. So just for the record, I'm really glad that the Cavs won. It's better for the, the content farm. It's oh my be- God. better for the NBA. It's like it's like better for basketball. This would have been like You're when... shaking your head at the poor Indiana Pacers. All they would want, why can't you just let them live? I'm they just wanted to get into the second I'm round. I'm indifferent to their pain for one thing. And second <laughs> of all, 
It's this was going to be we were in danger of like a George Mason Final Four here where yeah. it was like oh this is such a great story and then you wake up the next day and you're like wait is it George Mason's in the Final Four not and also, Duke you know like, when you have to live with George Mason you live with them for one game yeah. we were going to have to live with the Pacers playing the Raptors for like three weeks three Pacers weeks. heads I just want you to know that uh, despite the fact that sources say is shitting all over you guys I thought you guys had a great year it was fun to watch I would have liked to see them upend Cleveland just because I'm going to challenge your storyline assertions here for okay. a second. Because you're right. There is like a little George Mason element to if the Pacers had made it into that round. However, the flip side is LeBron's home now, right? And then like what happens with the Cavs? And we're going to be talking about that anyway. And he loses for the in the first round for the first time ever to a Pacers team that beat him with Oladipo and a bunch of guys who were cast offs. That's a fascinating storyline to me. That's true, but like the most electric moments of this playoffs have been all LeBron moments. And I don't take him for granted. Like I think that when he's gone, we will we will look back and be like, I can't believe how lucky I was to watch the NBA while he was at the top of his game. So I'm not in any hurry to see him pushing the poor Indiana Pacers aside. There's always next year the Pacers are going to be a playoff team for the next five years at least. It's going to be interesting. Well, let's talk about that because they've got Victor Oladipo, who had. An excellent season, a season that was much better than anybody could have possibly anticipated. The lock for most improved player, but the supporting cast, it's been a good supporting cast. It's been a good, a good enough supporting cast that they were better than relevant all season long. And they pushed the Cavs to seven games and LeBron James was in danger of going home for the first time ever. And they've got a good cap situation. But I wonder, like, they obviously need something else to push them over the top, right? And, like, what are you doing with that team? That's like, a good who's question. going there? How are they getting another star to play alongside Oladipo? Is Oladipo as your number one enough? No. And isn't this the same old story for Indiana? Which is that they are almost victims of their own competence. So you can hope that Pritchard drafts well, which he has shown that he's able to do. But it's another late, mid, first-round pick, right? They're not going to be a free agent destination. Uh, right. At least a top tier one. So this is sort of exactly where they were. What's before. that steakhouse in Indianapolis that everybody goes to? St. Elmo's? Is oh. that it? I think it is. <laughs> is it? I, no, but I, like everybody will tell you when you. Oh, did you go? to... I'm pretty sure it's St. Elmo's. It's like a staple of the, of the NFL draft. Yeah, right? yes. where all the people hang out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I have nothing. I you know, I have nothing but respect for what they pulled off this season. <laughs> but would they have been better off by having a breakout Oladipo season and being closer in, or in the lottery than they are now, losing to LeBron in seven? Great experience. Sabonis Oladipo come back. That's really good. Good news for them. Turner knows what it's like to play in Game 7. But wouldn't you rather have maybe a shot at whoever from this lottery maybe falls a little bit or get you know, get into yeah. the Mikhail Bridges zone of like that 8, 9, 10s area? To me, it's just like that's just going to be tough. But Pritchard knows how to trade, so maybe he'll find something. How do we feel about Miles Turner? Because coming into this year, this was a team that everybody went, oh, it's going to be Miles Turner's team. Right. And then it was Victor Oladipo's team and then like whoever was playing well that night's team. And then kind of sometimes Miles Turner's team, and it certainly wasn't Miles Turner's team in Game 7. He had eight points and four rebounds and fouled out on a questionable call, by the way. That sixth foul was a bad call by the referees who had a, a pretty squirrely game as referee calls go. But there was a lot of hopes for Miles Turner. He is still only, I believe, 22. So he's young. There's a lot of time for him to grow. But like, can he still be that guy? I don't know. You think Miles Turner is the second option? I don't even no. know if Victor Oladipo could really be the first option. If the ceiling is this, then that's Victor Oladipo. That's where he can sure. get you. But I don't I don't even know if we're talking about, like, is Miles enough? I'm asking if Victor's enough. Miles' numbers were pretty flat compared to his regular season numbers in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I don't think he had, like, a breakout game. Um, I think he's very useful. I don't know that you can build a team around him. Yeah. 
I think Miles Turner is like a system player and he is not in a good system. Like I would send him to a team where he has a very clear role that he like, like making him uh, like a Clint Capella type who like everyone's like Clint Capella is the key to the Rockets success. But like that is if that is a factor of the team around him. Like I don't think you build around Clint Capella just like you're not going to build around Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. And so you have to find a better spot. If I were Miles Turner and his team, I'd be like, let's find a better spot for me. Like where do they need a center? Like he would be a great spur. Like let's just send him to San Antonio. They have LaMarcus Aldridge. For now. If you're getting LaMarcus Aldridge out of there, then maybe in, with a theoretical uh, trade. But like, it's interesting that you mentioned that the system maybe isn't the greatest because you also did talk about Ty and, and Nate, and it wasn't like it was a, a fantastic coaching series. The, the Pacers' offense is like pretty astounding at times, and well, not in a positive way. So, on the one hand, I ta- I had talked about this or to them when uh, I wrote that piece for the Ringer, where sure. they were like, "Look, everybody gives us these long twos, so we take them," and that's kind of like what our team is because they don't have a ton of shooting. They, like they've got Collison and they've got Oladipo, but they don't have a ton of shooting. Sure. So they're going to take those long twos because people provide them to them and they like they scrapped out these games and like they were gritty and hustle and never, nobody believes in us nonsense but you're right system wise that's like a really archaic system can we call it a system like I you know <laughs> I, it's it definitely is very like 90s it's a very like we have a yeah we have a strong guard and like we'll let him do his thing and like he, he'll be like our floor general but like that's not even Collison right like that is depot and when he is not playing his best game, they fall apart. And so they need more of, like, a, I think, a structure. Yeah, I think that they're also indicative of the um, the talent drought that there is in the NBA when it comes to the skills that we're prioritizing now. So you're seeing teams emphasize threes and emphasize switchability on defense and shooting threes on offense so much, and the Pacers are not quite built for that yet. So they're mm-hmm. going to make the best with what they have, which involves a lot of driving and a lot of, like, mid-range jumpers, like you said. Maybe in that case... What they need is a couple of the new, more modern pieces that aren't actually flashy, but are just people who can kind of modernize that offense. Shooters out there, like, you know, Eric Gordon, he was a future pacer to me, you know, like before he kind of had the career revival in Houston. And he was a Mr. Basketball in Indiana. Like, it's not like he wouldn't have considered playing there. So I think it would have been like somebody like that, some kind of like pieces like that we've seen in New Orleans. Like, you can kind of modernize your team on on the fly. I think the revelation of the Eastern Conference playoffs for me is just like, it gets at what you were saying about like the talent drought. Like there are all the superstars went West, right? So like mm-hmm. between the Heat and the Pacers and the, well, the Wizards have John Wall and Bradley Beal, <laughs> but whatever. I'm going to throw them in as well. Like these are not like amazing teams, but they're really competent. And you just look at them and you're like, yeah, they're missing a star. Like that is the problem with the Pacers. That is the problem with the Heat. With a lot of teams. This yeah. is what happened with the Hawks. They can win 60 games in the regular yeah. season. You get nuked when you finally go up against top tier talents. And it could just be one. It could just be one guy or two guys. Simmons and Embiid can be enough to win a series. If the three or four other people around them are complementary pieces. And I think in this case, I can't really say with authority that Oladipo and or, and Turner and or Sabonis are anywhere near the top tier of the Cavs' talent. Yeah, it's a really interesting season for the Pacers because there were no expectations. Yes. And then there continued to be no expectations. And then they got into the playoffs and Oladipo was this revelation and they looked really fun. Well, fun in quotes. They were they were fun in that they were a surprise. It was an exciting series. It was an exciting series. Yeah. That they could right. And KOC mentioned this in our Slack where he said they could have and probably should have stolen the series but didn't. So last Pacers question for you before we talk a little bit more about the Cavs. Was this a successful season for the Pacers? Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. This so team just has because like, it is like Yeah, this you team played, has a future. You did it. Yeah. Yeah, and you've okay. got a guy who wants to be there, who wants to grow with this franchise yeah. and give you they they were so 
in need of uh, not just a fresh coat of paint. They needed like all new plumbing. You know what I mean? Like they needed rip it to the studs. Yeah, and this is and Oladipo's the guy. And maybe he's he is going to be captain first round out, but at least it gives you something to cheer for. It was fun to watch. The Cavs have been not as fun to watch for me this year. I, I love watching LeBron, which is a separate like prospect or exercise for me than watching the Cavs because LeBron's amazing and, and what he can do and like take an entire team of dead weight and just like carry them on his back into the second round is fascinating. But the rest of that team was not good. Like Kevin Love did not have a good series. Mm -hmm. He had an okay game. He made four three pointers at a point. He had a couple timely threes. He had timely threes in game seven. Yeah. Which I thought, but there was a point in game seven where I went, Oh yeah, Kevin Love. He hit a three when LeBron was out with his cramps in the fourth quarter or maybe the third, I can't remember, where they then, it was the fourth. They went up eight points after that and then they sustained that lead. So that was like a very timely Kevin Love moment. But you're right. I keep like forgetting that he's on part of this team. All of their players, I frequently be, will be watching the Cavs and go, oh, right, they, Jordan Clarkson. Oh, right, Larry Nance, because it's all <laughs> LeBron you, James. I can't believe you forget about Jordan Clarkson. He does everything in his power so that you will never forget <laughs> about Jordan Clarkson. Yes, he does. But I wonder I wonder how sustainable it is for LeBron, who even with the cramps that Juliet mentioned, still played 43 minutes and was absolutely ruined afterwards. And he was asked about Toronto and he was like, I can't focus on Toronto right now. I'm too tired. I don't know. I, I'm burnt right now. I'm not thinking about Toronto right now until tomorrow. I'm ready to go home. Can we? I'm, I'm tired. I want to go home. So I'm tired. I want to go home. I'm burnt. It's taken a toll. Chris and I talked about this on Sources Day. Very, very weird. LeBron I like that podcast. Postseason. Thank you. <laughs> Big fan. Very weird LeBron postseason. Weird quote to give. He's asking for it with that. He's just asking for it. That's not a innocuous, I'm tired quote. That's like a. I'm burnt out. It's different. This this feels a lot like the last season of LeBron in Miami. It feels a lot like the last season of LeBron in Miami, the last season of LeBron in Cleveland Park. This is every season of LeBron. Whether yeah. it's injuries around him or drama around him, LeBron actually, this is the norm. The anomalies are the crazy heat seasons where they just buzzsawed the league and they looked like a new kind of basketball with Bosch playing stretch four. Like, it was new. He's had two or three seasons where everything is clicking and that's it. You know, it's like most of the time it's Blatt being fired and Cleveland coaches in and out and Booby Gibson and Mo Williams as their supporting cast. And then it's they lose to the Mavericks in the first season with the heat. They lose to the Spurs in the last season with the heat. This is more like it. This is what he does. He is, you know, Windhorse talked about this on Zach's yeah. podcast, this idea of like there's organizational fatigue. I think there's almost like a fatigue in our ability to understand what's going on here. LeBron like is an energy force unto himself, but he sucks up the other energy around him. And this is what it looks like when he wins now is it, it exhausts him and it exhausts us. I love it, but I can't imagine being a part of it. It's really wild to see. It's But this is it. He's not the, the spurs. He's not a cog in the machine. He's the machine. He says he's tired. I feel tired yeah. watching that. It was excruciating almost. It was such an ugly series and such an ugly game, but it, it was feels ugly like physical labor like, watching yes. him play. Like he is physically laboring. In yeah. a way, they mean like no one can stop him when he's doing that. But it is like it's not like this elegant, efficient. It's not the Rockets. It's not the Warriors. It's not the ball zipping around and there's open shooters. It's like it's like okay, we're gonna grind it out. That's a good transition. We have to talk about the Jazz and the Rockets and uh, 
you know, we'll see what happens with LeBron in the next round. I'm going to talk to KOC about that matchup with the Toronto Raptors later on in the program. But as you mentioned, Houston, much more efficient and it's a lot prettier to watch. And they end up winning game one against the Utah Jazz pretty easily. There was a couple of moments there with the Jazz where they look like they might get back into it. But without Rubio... They didn't have a ton of offense in this game. Not saying that Rubio would have been the difference offensively. I'm just saying that they didn't have a ton of offense in this game. And also, um, Danny wrote a piece about what it looks like with Rudy Gobert when you can pull him away from the basket. And what it looks like is what happened with the Rockets in this game, which was you kind of neutralize Rudy Gobert. You're whipping the ball around the perimeter. You're scoring pretty easily and this looked like an easy win for the Rockets. I know that we'll probably talk about the Thunder more in depth in a few minutes, but to me, this first game is the difference between the Thunder and the Rockets. Huge, huge it's difference. It's the superstar who's playing within a coach's system and a coach who knows how to like pick apart a team and expose them and and pick on their weaknesses. And Billy Donovan may may very well have like the basketball intellect to do that, but he doesn't have a player who's fitting into that system right now. And the Rockets know exactly what they want to do. All the players are on the same page and they almost look like, you know, they don't ever even really get into that fifth gear because they can just make it happen with the way their team is constructed is perfectly suited to the way they play. And the guys they have are perfectly suited to play for the coach that they have. It's like perfect. It harmony. works. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like watching it personally. You don't like watching. I, the I do not like watching the Rockets. But every single part about it is like there is not a single note being mis- mishit. Why don't you like watching them? Because I just find it dull. And you know, I find the ISO I find, ball's not for I, you. I find foul hunting dull. I find like the pace that they play at dull. I find the ISO ball dull. Yeah. This is something that I've talked with Juliet before we rebooted Heat Check in, in the original iteration where I. I guess I'm kind of sick in a way that I really do like watching them hunt for free throws. It's I think like it's, there's an art to it. It's for the same reason you like love the Pacers. You're really deep in it. And so the nitty gritty, like you appreciate the like sort of exploiting the the game to make it work for you. It's different though, because like, I, I appreciated the Pacers. I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily like watching them because they do have a really kind of ugly atavistic style of basketball. But with the Rockets, that ISO ball heavy hunting for free throws, getting to the line, just just beating you because they know that they're going to get to certain spots and they know that if they're not shooting threes, they're going to get to the rim or the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Like that system is while, you know, some people find it boring to like watch them get to the line all the time. There's an art form to it. How is it that they're, they scored 50 points in a quarter and I've had bowls of cereal that were more exciting than that? This is a fair point, right? Like it's not like watching the Warriors where the Warriors are rip, whipping the ball around the perimeter and you're like, wow, that's beautiful yeah. passing. Like the Spurs when they were like super, super pass heavy when they were playing the Heat in the finals, that was a beautiful brand of basketball. That's not this, but I find beauty in their like, I don't know, the, like there's certain actions that they run all the time where you're like, okay, they're doing it again and nobody can stop them. Yes. And that's, and, I find and that, that fascinating. Is actually like, I think there is a little bit of like, somebody like the older brother pushing you away and be like, why are you hitting yourself? Why yeah. are you hitting yourself? And I don't like, I don't like watching that either. So it's, <laughs> there's a bit of it that Were is you like the younger brother in that scenario. No I, no, I just mean, I think that there is a element to it of like solving basketball on a level, which I almost want the suspension of disbelief. I don't want basketball to get solved. I don't want them to figure it out. You know what I mean? I, and I actually get a little bit more of a thrill watching a mud fight like Pacers Cavs than I do watching the Rockets just absolutely kill the Wolves and now the Jazz with death by a thousand cuts. Do you give the Jazz any chance to win? Not Maybe not win the series, but steal a couple games? Like what kind I of- I think they can get one. Maybe two. One? Yeah. I think they'll get at least one at home. One thing that we have to be prepared for 
we were so definitive about this stuff. Like we yeah, saw Donovan Mitchell like roll an ankle and he was fine. Like that goes both ways. Like you never know what's going to happen. We haven't had a lot of injuries in the playoffs right now, except for basically Rubio, right? Yeah. And you never know when someone could roll an ankle or stay out too late, you know, not be up to snuff the next day. Who knows what else? Who knows who on the Rockets could stay out too late? One who night? knows? That's uh, <laughs> really hard to say. Something to root for, hard. Jazz fans. Um, <laughs> we've got a lot more that we're going to get into, including, and Julie, I, I don't know, maybe you're going to come in and roll out of the podcast studio because we're going to do Sixers Celtics next. Oh, wow. But first, we're going to get a word from our sponsors. Today's Ringer NBA show heat check is brought to you by the Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over 1 million actions on your phone, in your car, and around your house. Do you ever forget where you parked at a game? Go to games all the time. Happens to me all the time. I don't know where I'm parking. Well, when you're walking around and you're trying to figure out where your car is, Google Assistant can help. Check this out. Hey, Google, remember where I parked in lot B, row 5? Okay, I'll remember you parked in lot B, row 5. I'll also save a map of your current location. Download the Google Assistant today. Heat Check is also brought to you by ADT. Is your home an ADT home? If not, get ADT and help protect against break-ins, fire, and carbon monoxide. And for a limited time, get ADT's lowest rate starting at just $28.99 a month from the most trusted name in home security. That's just a dollar a day. ADT is the first security company to help keep you safe at home and when you're on the go with the new ADT Go app. Not to mention, ADT Go also offers a family locator, private messaging, automatic check-ins, and safe driving reports. It even includes an SOS button with 24-7 emergency response. And you get ADT Go with the purchase of any security system. Go to ADT.com slash podcast to take advantage of ADT's lowest rate. ADT, tested, trusted, and proven. The 36-month monitoring contract, early termination, and installation fees apply excludes taxes and fees, applies to traditional services only, certain markets excluded, licenses available at ADT.com. And now, back to Heat Check. All right, I'm excited about this. I'm not sure how excited. <laughs> I know Chris Ryan is excited about this. I know Michael Bauman is excited about this, KOC and Bill Simmons. I'm not sure about the rest of our company or the rest of America <laughs> because uh, you're in for it. It's going to be a long, weird series your of favorite two fan bases your two fan bases going at it Juliet as not part of those two fan bases where do you fall on Sixers Celtics I'm excited okay the Sixers are an exciting team we're and gonna I beat that out success. of you <laughs> it would be a lot better if the Celtics were at full strength or like even close to it like Jalen Brown will probably be out for game one obviously mm-hmm. Kyrie is out Marcus Smart is playing well do we have like a Gordo back backwards from- hat calisthenics update no, nope. shockingly, we don't, which I find weird. They really shut. They they went zero dark twenty three thirty on him. Yeah, right? they're they like did. no talking about Gordo whatsoever. I recently heard that Joel Embiid doesn't drink anymore, which I just think is so great. Not because like you shouldn't drink, but I just like I just like the real the serious sense with which he's approaching basketball these days and his job and his career. And I just think I like I like a serious career man, you know. So I like and I just love to watch Ben Simmons, and I'm just excited about the Sixers team. I support you. He hasn't cut out the Shirley Temples, has he? Do you know mm. where you are? I don't know. He doesn't seem like he's having a lot of sugary beverages. And as we know, the NBA loves water. So. They, they do love water. Um, <laughs> did you want this series? As a Sixers fan, uh, yes. You wanted this. I, Even though like no home court advantage because of it, the Bucks didn't look good. You uh, wanted to say I, I, see Boston. From a pure television perspective, like Giannis versus Embiid would have been like watching Pacific Rim. Like mm-hmm. I would have been totally into it. But this feels like it needs to happen. But did you want this version of it without Kyrie and without Gordo? 
I don't make the rules. You know, like I mean, <laughs> okay. like yeah, like I, I would have loved it. It would have been really cool. I actually just think if they if they had had a full strength team based on what we saw this season, they might have been the one seed anyway. So we might not sure. have gotten them anyway. But it's a shame that it's not going to be full strength because it'll have an asterisk. But this feels like it's been it's been. Since before draft day, we've been waiting for this. I think Sixers fans had no idea the team would be this good. Uh, I think we, we all hoped we were we were an eight seed, you know. But this feels like two really good old fashioned NBA Eastern Conference fra- franchises that haven't really done battle and haven't really been relevant in this way in a while. Yeah, and I love that. And I together, lo- I mean, I know that Boston's won championships and then Boston's always relevant or whatever. But like, I just mean like Boston versus Philly is like it's great. It's just sleeping giants really getting ready to get after Boston it. versus Philly, especially you know post Super Bowl where there was uh, those two oh fan God. bases as an appetizer. And I didn't now even we think a, about that. What's yeah. wrong with me? And well, then, the whole thing with Embiid, too, is you're talking about he's quitting drinking, is that you know you could tell in his quotes, when he was talking about missing game two and getting pissed off about the heat and just being like, I stopped fucking babying me or whatever he said, yeah. he wants to be out there because he thinks he's the best player on the floor, if not like in the league. Like, yeah. He actually, it's like the Matrix Neo thing where he's like, he believes. Yeah. He believes in his own talent. And... I think Ben has a little bit of that too, just not quite the social media way of saying it. And that's the most exciting thing for Sixers fans is that you've got two guys who aren't learning to play ball. They're learning to be great. And they're actually doing it like Ben's composure at the end of the Heat series yep. and Bede's ability to get a bucket when you really need it. And his the way he changes the game defensively, I can't wait for this series, yes. man. Horford and Bede just like, Dueling is going to be great. So, I, yeah, let's talk about some of the matchups because part of the reason why I wanted this series wasn't, you know, on the one hand, you've got the two cities, right? And it's East Coast and they're historic franchises. Yes. And all of, like, the entertainment elements are fascinating to me. And I love when, you know, New York and Boston play each other, New York and Philly or D.C., like anywhere on the Eastern Corridor, I'm in. Yeah, the Amtrak series. hundred percent. But beyond that, the storyline matchups here are really interesting yeah. because you mentioned Embiid and how he he believes that he is the best player on the floor at any time and he wants to show it to you. And him versus Horford is going to be that's going to be a fun thing. I'm sure to watch it'll be a lot unfold. of him versus Baines. I'm sure I'm sure there will be a lot of like okay now we put Horford on him or whatever you know like there's going to be a lot of chess match stuff going on. I want to see that. I want to see what they do. What Brad Stevens comes up with. For Simmons, Simmons, right? Yeah. Because Spolstra, it's not like Spolstra is not a good coach. Spolstra is an excellent coach, and he I had ride, some good. I ride the hardest for Coach Spo. He's my number he's two amazing. coach in the league. And he couldn't figure out how to solve Simmons. So can Brad Stevens? I mean, is he going to throw Jason Tatum at him? Will there be some? Will Marcus he literally Smith? throw I mean, Marcus Smart at him? <laughs> yes, he has more options. I mean, Brad Stevens has more weapons yes. than Spolstra was working with. I think between Smart, Tatum, and Brown, those are three good defenders. I'm also interested to see with Marcus Smart because he was so good in Game Seven defensively. And Marcus Smart can change, like, look, Marcus Smart still can't shoot, but Marcus Smart can change significant moments in games, if not series, with his defense. And the Sixers, as we've seen at the end of the regular season and then in that first playoff series against the Heat, those shooters that they've surrounded Simmons Mm -hmm. and Embiid with have changed the face of that team, right? They've really, like... Made them a different looking team. So what will Marcus Smart be able to do against JJ or Marco or, you know. God, the, you're just first name only with your I'm, team. Well, I said Marcus and I'm no, first name with your own the, team. JJ is also a part of the ringer. Sure. So I feel like okay, as a ringer staffer, we're allowed to call him that. But with Bellinelli or any of the shooters that, that they put around these guys, like how will Marcus Smart be able to change things potentially? 
I'm just hopeful that this series will have as many beefs as the Heat Sixers one. Oh, there's a lot built in. I, I just, I'm excited about it. That's one thing as a nonpartisan that I'm like fired up about. I think Marcus Smart's potentially more annoying to play against than James Johnson. It's never too late for Tatum to start his own campaign for Rookie of the Year, you know? That's true. He could be like the Ross Perot of the of the Rookie of the Year campaign between that's a great, that's a great point. And, and Mitchell. <laughs> I love it. Also, I just feel like I could see Baines and Embiid also just like really fighting. Baines is not like a dot. Style, like, yeah, sure, let's nope. share the court. So it feels like a powder keg series. Between- oh, absolutely, man. You think those those gems are gonna be absolute hornet's nests. It's gonna be great. And it's also be like great. I'm sure Terry Rozier would love to keep fighting. Yeah. Who can who can he, you know? Well, that's another interesting matchup too, because you've got a decision between TJ and Fultz there. Like, who do you think would be a better defender for Terry Rozier? So that's something that is there any reason to believe it'd be Fultz? I mean, physically, he I, the problem is. <laughs> defensively, I think he would be good, right? But offensively, he's such a, a minus right now that I don't know how many minutes he could possibly get. If they play him get. at the end of the Heat series with two right. games at home, I don't think they're going to play him on the road in Boston. It seemed like they were starting to protect him a little bit. I feel like there yeah, was that like, one Heat game, I think it was five, where he just looked like he was completely out of his depth for a second. And, and I think that Brett yanked him, and that's when TJ got his minutes back. It would be strange for me if Brett changed the rotation again. If he was going to do it, I think he would do it in three and four when they go home and give him a little bit of a cushion and a crowd that's going to be a little bit behind him rather than throw him out there in Boston and be like, you go guard Jason Tatum on a switch or something and get roasted and see if you can then hang and come back down the other end while everybody's booing you. And I mean, like, why even subject him to that? It's not like he's Steph Curry. Because he's a basketball player and he's going to have to do it eventually, right? Sure, but like things are trending up. He's obviously had like a sensitive first season. So I I don't know. Like if if it is, like it was like a yip situation, like why risk derailing him when he's not essential to your success right now? Anyway, I don't know. What do you think he should do? You think Fultz should play in the series? No. I mean, look, should he play like that? I come in at the end of like the first quarter and play a few minutes of the second quarter. Yeah, I mean, but like then if, TJ is like the next two quarters. If he's playing north of 15 minutes, either the series is going really right or, or really, really wrong. wrong. Yeah. yeah, like those rotations in the Miami Heat series made sense to me because, again, I think like defensively, Fultz is a, a bigger body than TJ and could like create some matchup issues depending on who you put him on. But offensively, I'm I still worry, right? And if he's a net negative, then like just go with TJ because yeah, a lower ceiling but a higher floor. And you've got here's my thing. When I look at the series, I go, the Sixers are healthier and they're more talented is currently comprised, right? Like without Kyrie and Gordon, they have the more talented team. Mm-hmm. However, and Jalen. And Jalen not starting because yeah. of the hamstring probably is doubtful for game one. So however, Boston is Boston. They're scrappy. They play good defense. They've got home court advantage. Brad Stevens is a good coach. I go, like, let, don't play with fire. Just do a gotcha here okay. and, like, see if you can just beat them playing your brand of basketball, which I still think they should. I still think they should win the series. How concerned are you because of the things that I outlined as a Sixers fan? Because they are a scrappy team. They are defensively the Celtics, a good team. They do have home court advantage. What's your level of concern about the series? We've already gotten beyond my wildest dreams. I have ignored all the people who were like, see in the finals. If they go seven with Boston, like I, I actually, I'm not just happy to be there and I will have like blood pouring from my eyes when this series is going, but I am like kind of in, we're in the bonus now. Like, this is this is really good. Every game is more experience for these guys. So I'm not approaching this the way, like, I would approach 
this heat series where I was like, we're just better than these guys. Like when you get into the later rounds of the playoffs, like it just like is just a completely different sport. So let's see what happens. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to hedge. I'm just saying like, I'm not going to like cry about them losing a couple of games in this series. If they lose the series, I'll be disappointed. Yeah. And see, that's what you mentioned because there's, there would be sort of an asterisk, right? If they beat the Celtics, they probably should. Guess who's not going to give a shit about the asterisks? Philadelphia fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they will give a shit if they lose, right? If they lose the series, then you're not going to hear the end of it from everybody in Boston. We work with a couple of them who are going to go, oh, look, see, uh, the Celtics won even without Kyrie and even without Gordon. And there's going to be a whole year of that. And these two teams are set up to play each other for a long time. So I would prefer that didn't happen. What do you think? Let's make a prediction here for the series. Sixers and five. You're in. I, I love this. I just don't think the Celtics have the talent for this. Like, I don't think they can really match up against Embiid as good as Horford was in game seven. I just don't think Embiid is like a, you know, transcendent player and he's like, he's looks great right now. I just don't think they have the talent for it. Sixers and six. I do not want to see it go seven. Yeah, I'm six too. I don't want, to, six I don't want to play against Brad. Stevens they have the home. two best players in the series on their team. This they is exactly sh- what we were talking about with the Cleveland series. Yeah. So yeah. for me, I'm going to go with the best players and yes, home court advantage still matters and yes, the Celtics scare me because they play good defense and Brad Stevens is an excellent coach but ultimately, like talent-wise, I think talent wins out. I think we're like weirdly also not talking about Simmons enough. Like I just think he's unflappable and like rises yeah. to the moment and this like... I, 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 I don't know. Really believe in him. All in on Ben Simmons. So well, let's talk about the Sixers and their two young players and their future looks bright. And I wrote a piece for the ringer.com about how uh, this team as comprised looks like it could be together for a long time. We saw previously though, not even six years ago, the Oklahoma city thunder thought that they were going to be what the Sixers think they're going to be. Yeah. And six years later, two of their best guys were jettisoned and they're gone and they're a first round out. And Russell Westbrook is the last guy standing. And we saw how that went. And so what kind of lessons did we learn from the Thunder and what happened over these last few years. Would you consider the th- what happened to the Thunder to be like a really extreme case of mismanagement or bad luck when it this comes season? to that kind of, no, or, or just like, the since or the 2000 12, and, 12 team? Yeah, the 12 team that broke up. I think it depends a lot, a lot on like the goal. Like, what is the goal to be winning a championship? Obviously, but like to also be in contention to be exciting. Like that still happens. Yeah, th- I mean, for all of Russ's flaws, like the fact that he's still one of the five or ten best players in the league is like not discussed enough so it's not like they're like completely bereft of talent it doesn't answer your question no i mean like there's such a fascinating case they they are essentially i think probably more they're closer to indianapolis they're smaller than indianapolis right as a media market i would imagine Mm -hmm. they're also a one sport town which i think just sort of changes the dynamics of how your team operates in in terms terms of the media and in terms of like the passion with which the people who who cover them and, and who follow them feel I think that the Sixers could learn that this kind of situation with these kinds of players, these kinds of young generational talents, are they're generational talents because they come along once in a it's generation. It's so rare. You have to hold on to those guys and do everything you can because that what happened with James Harden changed everything, right? right. I mean, like that one decision caused them to, then Katie leaves, then they're chasing uh, quote-unquote superstars to try to get back some semblance of what they previously already had as homegrown talent. And- this is what I wrote in the piece, and it's sort of to diminishing returns in that you get Paul George, fine, good, wonderful. He's a good player. I wouldn't take him over KD and James Harden. And Carmelo Anthony, I don't know what's going to happen now. He's got this player option for $28 million. You've got to 
like really hope that he begs out of it and he's not going to. Well, he's essentially hold he's holding them hostage. I actually really I was just gonna say that. I like I actually probably like Carmelo more than most people, which is to say that I like him at all. Uh <laughs> but I think that he that press conference said to me, you know, I'm opting in either way. Yeah. You guys are screwed and, because I'm starting and I'm playing the three probably because Donovan talked a lot about how pretty much was like Carmelo did not want to play the four. Right. And, uh, you know, there might be a hole at the three three spot for the, the, the Thunder amazing. starting lineup anyway. So it, it doesn't really matter. So Melo said that uh, bench role is out of the question. And to your point about what role he wanted to play or what position, he said, I think the player they wanted me to be and needed me to be was for the sake of this season. As far as being effective as that type of player, I don't think I can be effective as that type of player. Right. Basically, I'm going to go back to being Melo. Right. Great. Two isolation players on one team. <laughs> How exciting. Both who both who have never been particularly effective in that type of role. Um, the Thunder are just such, such a bummer. But like it's also it's the Harden trade was so egregious and like such a shock. There's also like several other like just dismantled teams in the last like ten years that you're just oh, like Oh yeah, uh, totally. That you're just like Remember when the Magic went to the finals? Yeah. <laughs> Remember when the Mavs won a championship? Yeah, right. Like there's so many other ways that you it's also crazy. can ruin a really talented team. I think it's almost like the the thing about the Sixers that they've already learned that the process was like a testament to is like the way that you win a championship with the NBA is by having a superstar, preferably by drafting him. Every team that has won in this century drafted their their superstar that was on their team. And like, yeah, they also usually have like a second person to help, but the foundation is dra- is drafting well. And I would so, say that also the Thunder worried a lot about the top part of their roster. Yeah. And what, what are we going to do about Kevin Durant? And what are we going to do about James Harden? And they traded one and they lost the other in the free agency. And now they're worried about whether Paul George is going to resign, which I just highly doubt he will, and whether or not Carmelo is going to opt in, which if he wants he the one, he will. will. The Sixers actually have to worry a little bit more about what's beneath the top of their t- talent. like Because they they're in danger right now where they're going to have a couple of these guys like Ilyasova, Bellinelli, Redick. Yep, all three of them. All are instrumental to their success this season and all cannot be the anchor that holds this team down next season. This is like you're getting into your paying for success, past success basically, rather yeah. than future success. So for me, for as much as I have like a ton of affection for those guys, I don't want to see the Sixers, the Sixers need to be careful not to throw away their flexibility on sentimentality towards guys who help them at the end of this season. Yeah, well, I mean, that's also like the Warriors conundrum that they're facing right yeah, now. absolutely. With the way that they constructed their team for this season. Part of that, like, was sentimentality keeping the band together. And, you know, they looked really good in game one. And, um, you know, they're still really, they're great. But, like, Iguodala, Livingston, like, they are they are older and their bench players are not as talented as, as they were in their previous seasons. Yeah, Colangelo gets credit from me for putting those shooters around their, the core, right? Because the core was the big thing. Like, obviously, you got to keep your superstars, your homegrown talent. But then you've got to put what you need around them, which is something that OKC struggled to do for a long time, forever. They were looking for shooters on the wing, you know, extra players, right? And the best they could come up with was uh, Roberson and like, mm-hmm. okay, fine, and Abrinas. Like, that's not good. Right. Um, but then what do you do about the guys that you just mentioned with Redick and Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Eliasova, all of whom will be free agents uh, in the offseason? And Ersan and Bellinelli have been excellent for them. However, there's a reason why Bellinelli and... Ilyasova have bounced around the NBA, right? 
JJ is a much better player than those mm-hmm. guys, and they're gonna have to figure out how long do you sign him for. I'm I'm like terrified of the Bellinelli bubble bursting. Like, but in that's the thing. Series. Yeah, and I think like, he's a champion, man. It's okay. I worry he's about also a former Hornet and King. It's not like he's yeah. getting has <laughs> ups and downs. I worry about it both ways, right? I could see Colangelo going. They were so good for us. Let's just keep them. And then all of a sudden they regress to the mean, or they walk, and now he's got to replace them with somebody, two somebodies mm-hmm. who can do what they did, which was hit some shots and play when you're playing with Simmons and you can play, you know, four out with Simmons. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy decision for them. You look back towards like the Thunder draft history because I think what the Thunder did was they were like, we're going to have, we're going to be tied up at the tight top of our roster with all of our expensive players and we're going to try and get by with these draft picks. And the draft is hard. You know, you take Mitch McGarry instead of Clint Compella or you take Josh Eustace instead of... I don't know. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't like what he was now back then. But you look at that 2014 draft and there's guys they missed on. There's Nikola Jokic. There's Bogdanovich. There's guys who could have been really effective for them. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the difference between Josh Eustace and Bogdan Bogdanovich in some ways, you know? Yeah. And they, they, they typically have, I think, been uninspired in their roster construction in the bottom half of the roster. Uh, you know, Ray Felton, these kinds of guys who are right. like useful, but like, are you telling me there was nothing else? And I wonder whether that's a function of Oklahoma. You know what I mean? I wonder if that's a function of guys just being like hard pass. I'm okay. I think some don't want to play with Russ. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely part of it. And I do think also it's not a, a great place for your brand for a couple of reasons. Like it's a smaller media market and your brand will be second to Russell Westbrook, who is the face of Jordan. Can, Can we have a Russ conversation? Yeah, let's have a Russ conversation because we were texting before the show and I said, you could get all your takes in. And he said, I don't even know what your takes are. I'm not, I don't get really worked up about Russ. Like if we're talking about from an entertainment perspective, I love watching him, right? He's, he's entertaining because he doesn't wear a shirt to work and he's a maniac (laughs) who yells at people in the stands and he goes a thousand miles an hour and there is no break. Yeah. All of that is fascinating to me. If you're asking me what I want him on my team, now we're having a different conversation. And if you're asking me, can he be the number one guy in the Western conference when you put some other quote unquote superstars around him who can go and like then do something significant in the playoffs, I'm even less sure about that. I don't think Russell Westbrook is like Paul George had just an okay playoffs. Paul George was the reason Paul George had an okay playoffs. And Russell Westbrook isn't the reason why Carmelo Anthony looked like crap. Yeah. Carmelo Anthony is. So I think that like back in the day, people were like, Russ is is keeping KD back, holding KD back or something like that. I understood that to some extent. It's like, basically, if you have Kevin Durant, you should probably give him the number one option every time down the floor. And then you should be like cutting and going up for alley-oops and doing whatever you need to do. And if you want to drive, drive the ball down the throat of the defense, every other play, go for it. But I didn't really, I, I don't really see... Russell Westbrook like stopping Paul George from thriving in this series. Did you guys? No, and that, I guess that gives me some pause because I go, okay, well, if they can't do it when he's not an impediment, then it's not. I mean, what are the Thunder really? Right? What I, is this team? I think Paul George is a tough one to like have be like your uh comp, like sort of like a, a Russ barometer of any kind because he's a really specific kind of player. I like I've just been obsessed with him for years and I've really watched him a lot and like remember on those Pacers teams like he is incredibly talented. Like I think if you ask the other top players in the league they all like oh, yeah of course like Kevin Durant was like yeah of course because he plays defense and he doesn't need the ball. Yeah. But he also is not like this hugely assertive player. Like I, I, we've been talking about for many years, why isn't Paul George like more of a factor? Or like where is Paul George in this series? Like he is not an assertive dude all the time. Like he is sometimes, but he's not necessarily a number one. I think he 
he think he thinks he should be a number one, but he's actually a number two. And he was and he struggled a little bit in the number two role. And so the problem the problem with Russ is like his miss his his hits are like electrifying and his misses are excruciating. Yes. Yeah. And like and those two like necessarily go together because he does like freak athletic moves and he takes crazy shots sometimes. You're just like, that's the dumbest shot. Why the fuck do you take that? And sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And so it's like he is a real example of like you have to take the good the bad with the good. And there's there's no way around it. And I think that's like unpleasant to some people. But you know, if if he was if his if his accuracy was more like LeBron's and he was a little bit bigger, like no one would have a problem with it. I think he part of the problem is he plays like the way that LeBron does, but he's not as good. Or he, he's, yeah, he's, also he's out of control. Like yeah. it feels like he is out of control. I feel like part of the reason why there's been so when Russell Westbrook won his MVP and now retroactively and not even retroactively during it, people were like, it's Kawhi or Harden who should have won the MVP. Two system players, incredibly efficient players, uh, players who people hold up as paragons of the sort of post-analytics age that we're living in where it's taken for granted that like efficiency should be like really prized and that there's playing within a system and and making all your teammates better is is something that should be incredibly valued. I get that. I totally do. What's strange to me is that People seem to punish Russ for the higher expectations now. You know what I mean? Like it was a full hero thing. And I think there was just like a lot of like weird collective regret about him getting the MVP award. And now it's been sort of like, let's prosecute him on that over the course of this season. And the strange thing about it for me is that like the thing you usually hear people get credit criticized for is what? Effort leaving their original team. Right. Like what are the things that we don't like our modern athletes to do? Is like Russ is actually not any of those things. Russ plays hard every night, every play. I, I know some people are like, oh, Russ quit on this play. And like, that's, I think that's a little overblown. You're right. Like, I, you could go through the film and find me all these places yeah. where like, look at Russ There's ball some watching. Ball sure, stuff, absolutely. Right. But for the most part, I don't think you could question his effort. And for the most part, like, he went in on Oklahoma City. He could have left. He could have been on the Heat. He could have been on like whatever. He could have, he could have left. And, uh, it's kind of it kind of sucks because I feel like it makes it so that you can't appreciate anything but one kind of basketball or one kind of basketball player. He plays in a way that's like different from all these other people, and I like it. Um, I just don't think it's like a crime against basketball the way he plays, and yeah. I, I guess I just don't understand why the dialogue has shifted into that. That's kind of what I was saying at the beginning. Like I don't get as worked up about the way Russ plays as everybody else. But last one for you because I know you guys got to go. Uh, and do other things because you wear many hats here. But so let's just say that PG leaves. Is Russ enough to keep them playoff relevant? I think so. I just, do. Just to be in the mix. I think it's tough in the West. In the East, 100%. In the, in the West, is a little bit harder. It feels a little... No one wants to hear that they were really good with Andre Robertson, right? Nobody wants to hear that they might have been like the third seed with Ronda Robertson. I, I just, to me, I'm like, if that's if that's what you're hanging your hopes on, you're screwed. I guess it's just so. not enough. But is it ever? Doesn't everyone have an Andre Robertson in some ways? And like, if you lose him, then that's like what what pulls your team apart. If Draymond got hurt, like I know the Golden State Warriors would be fine, but would they be as good? At, I think Draymond is like way better. Yeah, but like they serve a similar purpose. They do the things that the other guys don't want to do. Like Robertson specifically was there to pick up for those Russ ball watching moments, like for those for those lapses in attention. And I thought like with Robertson and George on the perimeter, that was like an elite defensive team. 
No? Yeah, no, I mean, that, like, I think, it honestly, was a good idea. Like, what I'm saying think, is, like, the Thunder was a really good idea this year. I think Robertson's injury is more akin to um, Lukumba Mute going out for the Rockets. I mean, he's back now. It was much shorter. But I, I think, like, their relative impacts on their team. I, I think Robertson impacts the Thunder more than um, Lukumba Mute impacts the the Rockets, but I think that's like more similar than like the Draymond comparison. I don't know. I, I think like, yeah, Robertson's fine. And this is probably the most anybody's ever talked about him. But if, you, if you're listening, hey, I met him once. He was he, really nice. He loves the heat check podcast now. Uh, so shouts to Chris Ryan for that. Julia Littman. Thanks so much. You've got jam session and sources say both of you do and house of cars and bachelor party. And of course, Chris has group chat this week and the world famous, the watch and ringer FC. Uh, you guys are everywhere all the time. Most importantly, reading the ringer Com. Yeah, read it. It's page a, views. It's a good site. Yeah. Hit us with some PVs. Page views are the best podcast. Please do, guys. Thanks for doing this. All right, before we get to KOC, a word from our sponsors. Today's Ringer NBA show, Heat Check, is brought to you by Pro Flowers. Doesn't mom deserve more than just one day? I know my mom does. My mom, bless her heart, has done so much for me. And it's always, I don't want to bother you. I know you're busy. You're working. She'll text me and say, call me when you're available. Can you please, you know, give me a call when you have a free second? Mom, I wish I had more time for you. And I wish I could give you flowers every day. And you know what? Pro Flowers is here to help with that. When you send her Pro Flowers for Mother's Day, she's guaranteed to have at least seven days of fresh, beautiful flowers. Right now, our listeners can send 100 colorful blooms with a free glass vase at just $19.99 plus shipping and handling. I'm going to do this. Mom, you're going to get all kinds of flowers. Just use the promo code RINGER. With fresh flowers, guaranteed delivery, and unique vases and accessories that mom will love, Pro Flowers has everything you need for all the moms you know. Just choose the delivery date you want, and it's guaranteed. You can even get her gift delivered on Mother's Day, which is May 13. For those of you who haven't checked yet, rapidly approaching. The only way to get 100 colorful blooms with a free glass vase at just $19.99 is to visit proflowers.com. Click on the blue microphone in the upper right corner and use the promo code RINGER. That's proflowers.com, code RINGER. And now, let's go to KOC. All right, joining me in studio, one of our favorites here at the Heat Check Podcast. Check him out on TheRinger.com. He uh, had a piece about lessons you can learn from the first round. It's Kevin O'Connor. What's up, Holmes? Hey, John. Uh, fuck. I always say <laughs> no, John. I'm a, I'm a first name. I'm, I've been a first name type of guy my entire I like life. That you call me and, John. And, and you've told me multiple times, I've asked you, what is it, Gons or John? Like, what do you prefer? You're like, Gons or Gonzo? No, listen. And yet I always still say John. <laughs> it's so annoying. Gons. Listen, listen. Thank you for having me, Gons. You're quite welcome. <laughs> I love having you on the show. Um, I told you when you asked, I said, you can call me whatever you want. Know, Gons, Gonzo, the O is optional. Yep, John, my mom and my wife call me John. I like that you do Johns and my friends also do John. It's great. It's whatever you okay, want, whatever fine, you feel. Uh, I call you KOC. It's a term of endearment. And we got a lot of basketball to talk about, <laughs> KOC, because uh, we're into the second round now. Mm-hmm. And we saw the Pelicans in the first round. They were a revelation. We didn't expect mm. them to get out. Of, well, I didn't expect them to get out of the first round. I thought the Blazers were going to win that series. They did not win that series. The Pelicans won that series. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe the Pelicans could steal a game. Game one did not indicate that that's the way it's going to go. Even without Steph, it did not matter. The Warriors cruised to a 22-point win. What was your takeaway from game one of that series, KOC? Well, to put it simply, everything that worked in the first round against the Blazers is not going to work against the Golden State Warriors. 
It's really that simple where they trapped pick and rolls against Portland, a lot of pressure on Dame and CJ McCollum. That worked. Not going to work against Golden State because, A, they don't run a lot of pick and rolls. And, B, when they do, they have a bunch of guys who can pass on their team. It's not going to work, never mind the fact that Golden State just has more sheer talent. Yeah, the defensive matchups, too, for uh, the Pelicans, like you said, against the Blazers, the matchups were good. Against uh, Golden State, not as good. Like when you've got Miritich on Nurkic. That could work. <laughs> when you've got Miritich on KD, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Drew Holiday had a killer first round. He was excellent at both ends of the floor. A little bit tougher when you've got Drew on Draymond. Draymond had his fourth career postseason triple-double, 16 points, 15 he was awesome. rebounds, 11 assists, three steals, two blocks. He was everywhere. And then, you know, like, that's a bad matchup for Drew, and it kind of looked like it hurt him offensively, too, where he goes to the other end, he looked a little bit tired. He only had 11 points in that first game, shot sub-30% from the floor returns on this first game not good for the pelicans you know in regards to drew holiday it's like let's not overblow who he is as a player just because of a four game streak that he had against he had a good year yeah he had a good year i I know a really good year but but like after the one series suddenly the talk was like where does he rank amongst the best point guards in the nba it's like yeah he's a really good point guard who had the best season of his career but Let's chill out a little bit right here. Yeah, I mean, I, he, he's really, really good. Don't get me wrong, but uh, to expect him to average 28 points over the series against Golden State's defense, a little bit much when you're not going against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, who are just sieves on the defensive end of the floor. I really have always liked Drew. I've had a soft spot for him since when I covered him in Philly. He's an effort guy. He's a great teammate. He can do a lot of different things. Unbelievable defensive player. Unbelievable Un- defensive unbelievable. player. You know, like probably at first wasn't quite the offensive threat that people really wanted. But what you just said, like after that four game, uh, stretch against Portland, people were like, well, where does he rank among the point guards? I did that exercise a bunch when he was with the Sixers. Point guard is so deep in the NBA. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure he cracks the top 15. I mean, like he's really good, but yeah, I mean, like he, you put him in a series like this, and all of a sudden you go, oh, right, how good is he? I, I remember, I think it was last last season, maybe last summer, maybe even beginning of the season, we were on Bill Simmons' podcast, and we did this exercise with Drew Holiday, yeah. and it's like, eh, you know, he's 14th. Yeah, yeah. Thir- you know, yeah, like 10 to 15 the, neighborhood. Yeah, in the middle. And, you know, maybe he's a little yeah. bit higher if Somewhere you're redoing it now after the season because of, A, his, his performance in the playoffs, but also his strong regular season. But, yeah, uh, there's, there's quite a handful of point guards you take ahead of him. What chance do you give now the Pelicans of stealing even a game in this series. I mean, because like I, at first I was like, well, Anthony Davis, you know, he he's the X factor and he played really well. He did Anthony Davis things. He had 21 and 10 and still they got smacked by 22 points. <laughs> they, they, they need 40 and 20, not 21 and 10 yeah. from AD. And yeah. That's what they need to steal a game. And I, I picked Golden State in five before the series because I was like, you know. Throw them a game, see what happens. Yeah, they'll get, they'll get one just spectacular Anthony Davis game. But then since like the prediction was made, that was like two days before the series started we've heard Steph questionable maybe he plays game two in a limited role we'll see why would you even if you're the Warriors why bother well I I think there's some benefit to playing him to be honest with you Uh, I think if you get him a little bit into a rhythm maybe bring him off the bench for 20 minutes in game three game four that yeah I was saying like I don't think you need to bring him back for two oh no later in the series three and four get him some minutes 15 to 20 minutes Mm -hmm. uh see how it goes especially on the road like in that atmosphere you know it might be wild maybe not if they get pummeled again in game two but it's probably gonna be wild you know 
home games for New Orleans. It's a fantastic thing, but yeah, I'd bring Steph back. Although a limited role, though. I, I, yeah, for me, when I was saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother in game two. In game three and four, like the limited role thing is interesting though, because on the one hand, you do want to phase him back in and get him ready before the final, uh, the conference finals, right? But on the other hand, like, would he even be amenable? Like, I, do you phase Steph Curry back in, like, or does he just want to go out there That's and play true. if he can play? Well, the last time Curry returned during the playoffs and game four against the Blazers in 2016, he dropped 40. His first game back. 40 points or 40 minutes? 40 points in 37 minutes. Okay. So they just threw him out there. Yeah. You know, they were only up 2-1 in the series. Uh, it was a, I guess it was a must-win game for them, right? And then he scored 29 in the next game and he was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but he still wasn't that, didn't have the same burst you know, as we saw in the finals when Cleveland had that historic 3-1 comeback. But um, sure, I, if you don't have to throw him back out there into the fire, I don't think it hurts to, you know, ease him in with 20, in. 20 minutes. And then that way he's a little bit better basketball shape. Then you're ready to go versus Houston in the next round, who also looks like they're going to blow out. Uh, yeah, it looks away. like they're going to cruise. Uh, I want to talk to you about a series that I'm not sure what's going to happen because uh, we talked about Cavs game seven at the top of the show with Juliet and Chris. Now the Cavs are into the second round. I wanted to talk to you about that with the Raptors. I covered part of the Raptors' first round series when I was in D.C. The Wizards are a weird team. We're going to do an exit interview with you mm, and I a little bit later in the show. Weird. But first, the Raptors, like they've been the most consistent team in the Eastern Conference all season yep. long, and the Cavs have not been. What we saw from the Cavs this year is, man, they need as much LeBron as they can possibly get. And coming out of Game 7, they asked him about it, and we played the quote a little, or the clip a little bit earlier in the show, and he was like, I'm not even thinking about the Raptors. I'm exhausted. I want to go home. I'm tired. <laughs> so now he's got to go into the second round and do it all over again. And the question is, can he? I mean, of course he can because he's yeah, LeBron, yeah. but yeah. he really needs to be everything I mean, for that. I think I said this on Friday's pod uh, where it's like, are we at the point now? We are at the point now where it's like, LeBron's LeBron, but LeBron being LeBron isn't enough because of the rest of this roster unless everybody elevates their play. And if this isn't Toronto's year to take down LeBron James... It's never going to be. I, I don't know. I mean, unless LeBron leaves, that, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. even then, on his new team, whether it's in the East or in the West... You're probably not going to be good enough then either because I, I don't think a LeBron-led team can be any worse than it is right now. This decade, at least. I mean, some of those past Cleveland teams in the, in the 2000s were pretty bad. But um, this this year's team is pretty comparable in terms of uh, how weak they are aside from LeBron. I want to believe in the Raptors, right? I want to go, good for Toronto, we the North. Like, you've got DeRozan and Lowry. But then, you know, and like, I like, you know, Van Vliet. <laughs> Are you and worried like about him? DeLon Wright and all that stuff. Am I worried? So you think that they're the prohibitive favorites against Cleveland? Uh, I don't know who the favorite is, is well, what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't so, know if I can believe in Toronto uh, is what I'm saying. I, I picked Cleveland to beat Toronto before the playoffs began. But I feel a lot less confident about that now. Just based off the fact that I, I think Toronto kind of fixed, you know, some of the issues that they had earlier in the series against Washington. And Cleveland looks weaker than expected. I mean, even weaker than expected. Yeah. But then again, it's like, maybe Cleveland just starts to click. Maybe that happens. We've uh, been maybe, saying maybe that Kevin all Love's season. Still, I know, I know. But, you know, it can always happen late. It can, it can always happen in May. Kevin Love can always get back into a better rhythm after that thumb injury that he had. Maybe he gets back to 100% and he's knocking down threes like he did in the end of Game 7. So, 
Look, you can never rule out LeBron and James, but Toronto Toronto is built to beat them. They have a lot of different guys on their offense who I think can score for them. The question really to me is, do they have enough guys that can stop LeBron James? Aside from OG and Obi, up and down their roster, I'm like, Pascal Siakam, uh, CJ Miles, Fred Van Vliet against LeBron, I don't think so. OG's going to have to have the series of his life, and he's only a rookie against yeah. LeBron. Yeah, and that's a real, I mean, you know, who you're going to put on LeBron, like I've said this on our Slack while we were watching Game 7, Nate uh, McMillan went with Bogdanovich, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, that's an interesting <laughs> choice. But then I looked around on the floor, and I'm like, the only other person you could possibly go with is Thad Young, yeah. and Thad Young was out on the corner with Kevin Love for a lot of the third and fourth yeah. quarter. So the conundrum of who you put on LeBron is every coach's issue. Yep. Like, there's really nobody you're going to find on your team and go, Oh, of course, that's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the problem is, if I sounded earlier like I was sort of hedging between these two, I I am forever when I look at the series torn between you have LeBron and ah, I still have a hard time believing in the Raptors. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> well, I'm I'm picking Cleveland because uh, I'm eight for eight so far with picks. So I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with the, everything. That look I, at you that knowing basketball. You should read, <laughs> no, no. write about basketball for a living. No, I think. trust me. You don't. You don't want to look at my March Madness bracket, though. You've got a future in this. I think. Um, <laughs> you don't want to look at my March Madness bracket. But I think. I think the point of this. I, I'm probably still going with the Cavs as well because he's the best player on the planet. But when you look at the Raptors, it wouldn't surprise me if they did pull it out because the Cavs supporting group is so weak. Yeah. We were talking about this as, uh, as well earlier in the show where no matter who it is, you could really mention any name on the Cavs. At some point in that series, if that player did something, I was like, oh yeah, George Hill or oh yeah, Jordan Clarkson or even oh yeah, Kevin Love who until game seven and his game seven was fine. He had four three-pointers. It was fine. But that was his best game of the series by a significant margin. And you would think in a vacuum, Kevin Love and LeBron James, you've got two of the best players <laughs> on the planet. You should be probably yeah. fine, but you're not. Except it's not true about Kevin Love anymore. Yeah. Just, just not. Um, one thing you said earlier, Gons, that's on my mind is is you mentioned how like Toronto doesn't have a lot of guys that they can throw at LeBron. Coincidentally, the other two teams that are playing, Philly and Boston, both do. Kind of do. So it's Kinda like, do. For, you know, if Cleveland does win, one of those two teams, probably Philly, does have a handful of guys that they can use against LeBron. So like it would be... Kind of miraculous if this Cle- – not miraculous, but it would be – I don't know if Cleveland's not going to be favored in the series. So it would be an upset at least if they beat Toronto, right? Yeah, so, I guess. So then in the East Finals, it would be even a tougher challenge on paper at least than it is against Toronto just based off the, the players that can be thrown at uh, LeBron yeah, James. Those, I, when I say tougher matchup, I mean defensively at least. Yeah, and, and it's interesting too that the Celtics and the Sixers are set up that way because they're both young and they're both long. Mm-hmm. And you're right, like if you were going to look around the league, not a lot of teams have those options and the two teams that the Cel- that the Cavs could face if they somehow do beat the Raptors, they're looking at like pretty it, tough defensive matchups. It, it's almost like those teams built with LeBron in mind and then, oh, what are we going to need to win in the finals? Versatile players. Right. And so both those teams certainly did build with that in mind. Um, so you're picking the Cavs out. Yeah, only because of my, my pre-playoff predictions, but I don't feel good about How it. How many games? Uh, seven. Seven? Another yeah. seven round. Another seven. LeBron yeah, is going to be tough. super tired. Uh, I'll <laughs> ride with you. I've got, I had the Cavs uh, as well. I think it's going to be a tough series. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if, if this is finally the year that Toronto pulls it out because that supporting yeah. cast is so bad for the Cleveland. Uh, so, but Cleveland deep. lives. Cleveland lives. Uh, the Wizards, however, <laughs> do not live. As I said, I was in Washington, D.C. I, so I went and I saw House. And uh, I said to House, got some good food. That we had some amazing food. <laughs> we hung out. It was great. I said to him, they're down 0 2. 
I haven't known what to make of the Wizards all season long. I think this is over for them. Then they win two games. Yeah. And I go, I don't know what to make of this. And then they come and they, and they lose again to the Raptors and they fall apart. All season long, from beginning to end, I have no idea what to make of the Washington Wizards. Explain to me what the Wizards are. How are they not better with a, a trio of Wall, Beal, and Porter? Like they, On paper, <laughs> you would look at them and go, this should be a better team, right? Like You've got Keefe. You've got uh, Oubre. They have some parts that you think like this could make sense, and it just didn't. I'm thinking of a way to to say it nicely. Don't. Um, no, we're on heat check. <laughs> but uh, the way I'll put it is, in the 2019-20 season, right, they have four guys with guaranteed deals. Otto Porter, Bradley Bale, John Wall, Ian Mahaney. Those guys, those four. They only are cash-strapped. They will make $170 million. Yeah. Those four guys. We don't know what the cap will be that year. Maybe it'll be $115 million, But that's only four guys taking yeah. over 90% of the cap, no matter what it is. And John Wall is at the podium with his Exeter interview being like, you know, we can make changes this offseason and conditions. It's like, how, dude, like you got to read Larry Kuhn's CBA facts to get an idea of how difficult it's going to be for this team to make the necessary additions. So it's like, wh- what I look at this team, what do, I, what do I think they are? They're just really playoff, they're playoff fake, they're a fake playoff team. They're fodder they're, in the playoffs for somebody fodder. who's going to end up yeah. beating them. And it's, it's like, what do you do? Do you, do you, Take the 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 grand risk and try to sign and trade for a guy like Demarcus Cousins. Is that the answer? Do you trade like sign and trade Otto Porter for him, or like are you just you know trying to sign veteran minimum players? I don't know what the answers are here, but I think you do need to shake things shake things up if the goal is championship contention. If it's not, you're perfectly happy. Yeah. So like what you just outlined, that their cap situation is really ugly because they're 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 not going to be able to just go and like free agent shop, right? They can't do that. They're going to have to make moves through trades somehow, if possible. Have to go to Goodwill store. You've, you've got Ernie Grunfeld in that front office forever. For the last 14, 15 years, they've never won 50 games. They've never made it to the <laughs> conference finals. And I and I wonder about some of the decisions he made. However, were I in the same situation, if you can. Keep Wall and max him out, you do. If you can keep Beal and max him out, you do. If you can keep Porter, you max him out, you do, right? I mean, like, what are you going to, like, these players are hard to come by. Yeah. So, like, those decisions, I don't fault him for. The Jan Mahimi decision, where instead of, when they missed out on Al Horford, instead he threw $64 million Mm. at Mahimi, that's the one that screwed them. (laughs) That's the one where you go, if you could get that back, you would take it back a a hundred times out of a hundred because you really screwed yourself out of any flexibility. Two years left, too. I mean, like, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. You know, I'm like, team, blow it up. You're not going to blow up the team. It's pretty clear that that's probably not on the table. So I do wonder, maybe with the Beal wall backcourt, do you try to move one of them? Uh, I don't know, because I really like Bradley Beal. I think John Wall's quite a bit overrated. He's a great yeah, point guard. Yeah, give me guard. your wall I mean, takes. I just, give me your wall I, takes. I just think John Wall is the, the worst elite point guard in the NBA. <laughs> I love this you know thing. what I mean? Like, no, like, I, does that make any sense? <laughs> like, he's the worst sometimes. elite point guard. So, I mean, he's like fantastic player, but he has some real deficiencies in his game that are, it's like we've talked about with Russell Westbrook. He needs to move off ball. He, yeah. he needs to start cutting. He needs to play more consistent defense over the course of the season. There, there is little things that Wall needs to do, not to mention that he has health concerns as well, and he's going to be making 40-plus million dollars through like the 2022-23 season. So it's like, maybe Wall, you pull a Blake Griffin, like the, uh, pull a Clippers and trade him like 
the Clippers did with Blake. But I, I don't know. I, I think Wall's a tremendous point guard, though. He certainly is. And Wall and Beal have made strides the last two seasons. Maybe Otto Porter's the guy you move. But Otto Porter's important to what they do, too. It's He's crazy. Versatile. Like, I, I look don't at know, the, man. That's what I'm saying. I'm I look lost. at those players, those three players, and I go, clearly together right now, what they're doing isn't enough to get them into, like, they're relevant-ish, right? Yeah. They're, they're playoff fodder, as you mentioned. That They're not a team that's probably going to contend mm-hmm. even in the Eastern Conference. However, those players are really hard to come by. They're, it's really hard to get a backcourt like that. It's really hard yeah. to get an Otto Porter who's uh, who's that young and that big and you know that long and can shoot, shoot threes. threes. Yes, versatile play defense. defense. Yeah. Like those those yeah. three pieces in a vacuum, you'd go, oh shit! If I could put them on my team, no I'd kidding. be thrilled. Yeah. But you have them on your team, and you're I not know. that thrilled. So it's hard. It's also hard. Similarly, and this is another team that I wanted to talk to you about: the Bucks. Right, mm-hmm. the Bucks. You look at on paper, and you go, a core of Giannis and Chris Middleton and. Bledsoe. <laughs> yeah, it's like fill in the blank. Right? And, and Who is like, the third? Well, Bledsoe. I mean, like, <laughs> okay, so when they went and got Bledsoe, I, I liked Bledsoe. Oh, yeah. It was a good, good calculated this, risk. In theory, you'd go, okay, mm. these are good players, right? I'm going to put them on my team. This is going to make my team better. The Bucks have one of the, the best players in the NBA, a top five to eight, five to seven, whatever you, wherever <laughs> you want to slot Giannis, yeah. he's there, right? He's in a conversation yeah. as one of the elite talent in the NBA. And he said, I thought we were the better team. You were not the better team. You were the better player, but you weren't the better team. The Celtics had the better team. And that's kind of the problem, right? Where Boston is missing their two best players. Yeah. And a couple of role players. Smart didn't play until game five. Daniel Tice, who was critically important to their bench, didn't play at all after his tore his Achilles during the season. So Boston was missing four valuable guys, including their two best players. And yet... Milwaukee still wasn't good enough. And, you know, everybody on NBA Twitter is, you know, blaming Joe Prunty. And look, Prunty had a bad series, right? He had a couple bad suits on, too. Can it, like, yeah, listen, yeah, Joe Prunty. Everybody's making fun of him. Can, and, I, yeah. can I help you out here? Purple on purple. Not a good look unless you're uh, you're doing like the Dick Tracy reboot. This is not a good look. I don't care what he's wearing. I, I, don't, I don't care. You're wearing he, a lot of purple, actually, I don't, right I don't now. Ca- I don't care what he looks like. It's even if he's the worst coach in basketball. Even if a lot of people are right that he is, people are saying that. If you That's repl- all if the you, more reason to distract re- people. If from- you replace him with Greg Popovich, right. it doesn't change the fact that this roster has problems on it. It does. So changing the coach isn't going to fix all the problems. But you're going to change the coach. It, yeah, I know you are, but that still doesn't change <laughs> the fact that the, pro- the roster has fundamental issues that need to be changed. You can't stop it saying, we got Mike Budenholzer. Everything's going to be good now. He's going to install the Hawks system. We're going to be great. It's like, well, no. Eric Bledsoe... Still needs to stop jacking up mid-range jumpers and needs to start playing off-ball defense. Does that happen with a new coach? I don't know. Tony Stallion is always going to be an invisible guy. Matthew mm. Delavadova still overpaid. John Henson still probably not the best fit next to right. Giannis. It's like, what are you getting out of Thon? What are you getting out of Jabari? If Jabari even comes back. And if he doesn't come back, what are you going to do to replace him? Yeah. Without a lot of cap space, without a lot of flexibility, without a first-round pick in 2019, I believe it is, that they gave These up are, so. Those two Big teams questions. that we just talked about, the Wizards and the Bucks, are, going, are in for fascinating off-seasons for different reasons because I don't know how they, like, they've got in theory these pieces that could be good but they haven't performed at a level mm-hmm. that's like of any significance quickly if you could pick one of those situations would you rather be the Wizards Milwaukee, or the Bucks? Milwaukee it's not even Bucks, a question because yeah. of Giannis uh, granted I, I think their roster is a little bit 
better too because of guys like Chris Middleton and Thon Maker really showed what he can be in certain spurts the series against Boston. Um, but he also showed like reasons why there's reason yeah. for pessimism too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Milwaukee's in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot, but I'd pick them. All right. So, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would rather, because of Giannis. I mean, like for me, that's an automatic, like I'll just take him and yeah, see what happens. No doubt. Um, all right. So we mentioned Sixers uh, and Celtics. I talked about it earlier. I can't discuss it with you because you are from an awful city that I lived in for four years. And now you're my sworn enemy for the rest of <laughs> the rest of this series. However, I'm going to provide you with an opportunity. You have been banned from the rights to Ricky what Sanchez. What are you talking about? You've been banned from the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. It doesn't Our friends, look like anything to me. And, <laughs> and I, I can't get you unbanned. I'm not How, sure what you're talking about. However, I could perhaps put in a good word for you, provided that you make a prediction here that comes down the way we want it to come down. Who uh, do you think Kevin O'Connor... What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I like that you're you're trying to pull the West world. It, it doesn't, doesn't look, look like, like anything to me. Anything to me. What does this series look like to you? Sixers, Celtics, what's well, your prediction? Well, I, even though I'm, I have no idea what you're talking about mm-hmm. um, in regards to that, I I will make a prediction. Okay, and, please. And, that, and please that's Philly and Six. Oh, look at that. This could help you. <laughs> this could help you. I hey, will... Man, uh, hey, man, I'm just sticking to my pre-playoff predictions and I would pick them anyway. I know, will... Yeah. Uh, I will put in a good word for you. I also mm-hmm. picked the Sixers in six. Oh, in six? Yeah. Interesting. Because um, th- Boston's defense, is it? Or, 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 Did I, you say six or seven? Six. Yeah, I, yeah. I picked six yeah. too. Um, I think Celtics defense could make things a little bit difficult for Philly. Here's here's why. I, I, I look at the two best players in the series and they both play for Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I think overall, as currently comprised, the Sixers are more talented and healthier. <laughs> yeah. However... Boston has home court advantage. They play really good defense. They've got some guys that they can throw at those shooters that have been super successful sure. in the late regular season yeah. and also uh, in the first round of the playoffs against the Heat. Like Plus, every, like every player on Boston is a good defender. Yeah, except for like Shane Larkin. They're That's scrappy. Like, it's yeah. uh, the Sixers and the Celtics is all, like the Celtics took three out of four against them uh, during the regular season. Not that that means a ton, mm-hmm. but still. And also, Brad Stevens is an excellent coach. Yeah. So just like those like intangible factors. It, I look at it and go, it's not going to be can, a, a can cakewalk. I, can I ask, is it partially you don't want to get overconfident? Because there's part of me that's like Philly's going to blow them away. Like there's a little bit of me that's that feels like that's a possibility at least. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think. But I think there's a possibility that Embiid and Simmons just elevate their play again. They just stomp on this depleted Celtics roster. I think you're trying to reverse mind trick me here. No, I, I'm serious. I, no, I'm, I'm, I hadn't I'm actually considered a walk. I hadn't considered really? a Sixers blowout. If that happens, like... I, Even five, though. If that happens... God bless the rest of America because Philadelphia <laughs> will be like, just, and I say this with love. These are my people. Yeah. We're already unbearable. If the Sixers <laughs> smack the Celtics, even without their two best yeah. players in Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, head for the hills, move to Canada. This will be the end for America because you'll it. never hear the end of it. Uh, Kevin O'Connor, you are the it. absolute best. You're going to be back on Tuesday with Verno to do your usual yeah. podcasting. We're going to have group chat this week. We're going to have Woo-hoo. draft class. Bill Simmons is all over the ringer podcast network. All of your end NBA playoff needs. We've got them for you on the Ringer Podcast Network and on the Ringer.com. I also want to say thanks to Juliet and Chris Ryan who are here. Uh, KOC, of course. I always ha- love having you, buddy. And our buddy producing it, Isaac Lee. Isaac. Uh, thank you, everybody, for this. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week on Heat Check. See ya.